continuing our series on confession, uh, especially learning and the, as from Psalm 51 as a guide for confession. And if you remember from last week, we talked some about, we looked at just the first few verses, just the first six, six verses. And I remember if, if you look at it, the beginning of the psalm, it comes, Lord have mercy on me, and how uh, the psalm begins with, with complete humility. There's no pretense. There's no excuse making. There's no uh, trying to, to pretty up what, what he's done. There's just, Lord, please forgive me. And then there's the second part where it says, Lord, please forgive me according to your steadfast love, to your love that keeps on loving, to your boundless compassion. Lord, blot out all my sin. So we talked some about this last week about how we come to confession uh, with complete humility and we rely on the Lord God and his love to cleanse us. Well, this week we're going to look at the the middle section of this Psalm 51 and talk some about the hope of restoration, about being restored uh, after confession. And I was thinking about it some, as as Tracy mentioned, that uh, on Friday and Saturday, the boys and I, we took our family, went up to a place called Gwilym Lakes, which is in the Valhalla's, uh, Valhalla uh, Park. And it's, um, it's a three-and-a-half-hour hike for normal adults. For us, I think it was four hours or four-and-a-half hours um, with the kids. And um, one of the things that like, I did, because I want our boys to enjoy it, so they have I, kind of a guide. Is a basically their pack weighs in pounds about as, the same as their age. So Shailen basically was carrying his stuffy dog and his water and a couple of things of clothes, and Corbin was carrying just a little bit more, but just real light packs so they could walk easy. I, however, we, this summer we bought uh, a new tent. Uh, well, it, was, it was a used tent, but we bought it, and it's a six-person tent. The whole thing weighs 30 pounds. So that was 30 pounds, plus all the gear, because so, I want everybody to have fun. So I think my pack was like 60 to 65 pounds. Thankfully, we were moving at a family pace, so it wasn't too bad, but it was still heavy. And I started thinking some about sin and about how I've heard someone describe sin as um, taking stones, and putting them in a pack or in a, in a basket and carrying them through life. And I, thought, I started thinking some about that analogy, about that metaphor of how so many people, we see people who, um, who hate confession, who hate admitting guilt or sin, and they go through life hurting people, saying mean things, doing horrible things, uh, knowing what they should do to follow God and refusing to do it. And every time it's like taking a stone and putting it in the pack going through life, through daily, picking up stones, you know, saying hurtful things, doing hurtful things, rebelling against God and putting stones in the pack. And you just, I mean, we see people who, like on the outside, it looks like they're walking upright, but spiritually we can just see them. They're just hunched over and they can barely move. And we live in a society right now that hates to admit guilt, hates to confess anything. And so they keep that pack on and they just keep putting stone after stone in. And so I've been thinking some about confession as this way of taking the pack off. Because the heavier it is, the more and more stones you put inside, the, the more and more you walk hunched over, the more deformed you become as the sin gathers. And confession is like undoing the straps and taking the pack off and just letting it fall to the ground and finally standing up straight again. I wonder if some of you maybe have been walking too long, putting stones in without taking the pack off, without confession. I don't know, maybe there's some of you who have never even thought about it or even heard about the idea of confession, about 
coming to the Lord God and saying, Lord God, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done. Forgive me for all the things I've done. It's an amazing thing to do. I mean, it's hard to begin, but even as you get into it, even as you begin confessing, you can feel the weight beginning to come off. Or maybe some of you can relate to this, what I'm talking about, even just putting stones in lately. Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a while and you've been confessing, but maybe it's been a while since you've done it. And you're just, as I'm talking about it, you're just starting to realize the weight of the pack and even the ways it's starting to deform you. Well, we've been reading Psalm 51, and for those of you who know Psalm 51, it's actually, uh, it's the Psalm of David. And it's a Psalm that, that, that he wrote or that, that re- remembers when he sinned. When it was horrible stuff that he did. David, is, when all the kings would go out in springtime, they'd go out to battle, uh, David stayed at home. He sent his army out to go, and so he stayed at home, not doing what a king was supposed to do. And so when he was up on his roof one day, he saw this woman, Bathsheba, and, and he, she was beautiful. And so being the king, he called her to his palace, and he slept with her. Well, it turns out Bathsheba had a husband already. His name was Uriah, and he was a man who was fighting in David's army. So here he is sleeping with a wife of a man who's fighting for him. And so David, rather than confess what he did or acknowledge what he did, he thought, I'll try and cover it over. So he invited Uriah to come home so he could talk with him. And then uh, he said, okay, so Uriah, take the night off and, and go home, be with your wife, you know, to hopefully cover over the fact that he had slept with her. So if she had a child or so that because she was pregnant, that she would have, they would all think it was Uriah's child, not David's. Well, Uriah, being a loyal man, he actually slept at the entrance of the palace with the servants. And so when David saw him, he said, what are you doing? I gave you the night off to be with your wife. And he said, how can I go sleep in my own home with my wife when the ark of the Lord, the presence of the Lord God is out in a field and all of my fellow soldiers are sleeping in in fields? How can I go home and be with my wife? So here's this amazingly loyal man, loyal to the Lord God, loyal to his fellow soldiers, even loyal to David, the king who sent him out there. So David tries again. He says, well, I'll make him drunk. I'll give him lots to drink and then he'll definitely go home. Well, he does that and he still sleeps at the doorway of the palace because he won't be disloyal. So David, to cover over it, so when Uriah goes back to the battlefield, he calls his general and he says, "When Uriah, send Uriah to the front and when the fighting is most fierce, have everyone but him pull back so that he'll be killed. So David, this king, arranges it for Uriah to be killed. So not only has he slept with his wife, he's tried to cover it over, and now he makes plans or plots to have him killed. And Uriah dies. Then the prophet Nathan, finding out what he's done, comes and he confronts David. And David is brokenhearted before the Lord. Now there's a bit more to the story than that, but that's where this psalm comes from. So if you would open up your Bibles to Psalm 51. This is when... David has realized what he's done. So Corbin and Shalem and Thomas and Ellie, listen to this with all of us. So this is for the director of music, a psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. 
Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the inmost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take away your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. Save me from blood guilt, O God, and the God who saves me. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifice of God, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. In your good pleasure, make Zion prosper. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Let us pray that we would hear this psalm this morning. Father in heaven, we pray that we would hear your word. Holy Spirit, work in us. Lord, in the places that we need convicting, Lord, convict us. In the places that we need comfort, Lord, please comfort us. We pray this in your mighty name, Lord Jesus. Amen. So as I was reflecting on the middle verses of the psalm this morning, actually this week, actually, I was thinking some about um, how wonderfully unfair God is. How wonderfully unfair he is that we do not get what we deserve when it comes to God. That we actually get mercy and grace that he restores us when we confess to him. In verse 7, if you look at it, it begins with, uh, Lord, please uh, clean me with hyssop. Make me clean. And actually, the word there is actually, it's unsin me. In Hebrew, it's literally unsin me. Unsin me with hyssop, which was a plant that grew then. And it was sometimes used in washing. And then he says, launder me and make me whiter than snow. And, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. <laughs> um, I don't know if anybody has those, um, those uh, washing machines, the front loaders, you know, that's high efficiency. Oh, man, I love those things. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever just listened to them. They're just so soothing. <laughs> you know, they're so gentle and the stuff's just turning over and it gets clean. That was nothing like how clothes were cleaned in the time of David, okay? (laughs) Throw that image completely out and think of people scrubbing clothes on rocks, stomping on them, smacking them, doing all sorts of things to try and get the clothes clean. That's what laundering in the ancient world was like. Okay, it wasn't gentle, it wasn't soothing, it was rough, it was violent, it was scrubbing. David is saying, Lord, do whatever it takes to make me clean again. Scrub me on rocks if you have to. Tread on me. That's actually the word in Hebrew actually has this connotation of walking on. Tread me, Lord. Get all the dirt out of me. Do whatever it takes to make me clean. And then David says this amazing thing. If you look at it, verse 8, he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Can you believe the audacity of David to ask that? I mean, after what he's done, right? uh, Last week, one of my friends was here from Idaho, and he was staying with us over the weekend, and he came up to me, and he said, 
I had never heard that story about David. That was horrible. I had no idea what he did. I mean, think about what David has done. He has slept with another man's wife. And if that wasn't bad enough, he tried to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he had the man killed. This loyal man who was loyal to him, who was loyal to the Lord God, he had him killed. All of these things to try and cover it up. And it wasn't until the prophet Nathan came and challenged him that he finally said, you're right, what have I done? I mean, that's pretty bad. It's about as bad as it gets. And yet David still has this audacity to say, Lord, please return my joy and my gladness. Take those bones that you've crushed and return them to gladness. But actually, there's this connotation. I have one person, I saw one who translated as, Lord, let the bones you've crushed, let them dance again. Think about what David has asked. Or what about in verse uh, 9 where he says, Lord, hide your face from what I've done and blot out all my transgressions. Like, how amazing is it? Like, where does David get the idea that he could even ask these things? Now, the Lord doesn't hide his face. The Lord never just turns a blind eye to the things we've done. And praise God for that. We have a God who is just, who doesn't just turn his, his eye when things, when things are unjust, when things are horrible, uh, especially when we think when things are happening to us. Praise God that he doesn't just turn his face away and forget about it or act like he doesn't see it. He sees everything. David is, in a way, trying to say, Lord, please don't scrutinize me. Don't look too closely. And blot out all my transgressions. I can't believe that David has the, the boldness to ask God for these things, given what he's done. And then he says, don't let your spirit, or he says, uh, don't cast me away from you, God, which is exactly what God should do. If we have a holy God, a God who has no sin in him and allows no sin around him, David says, don't cast me away. And yet, that's exactly what God should have done. I mean, David did horrible things. We do horrible things. This is exactly what God should have done was cast him away. But David says, please don't. And don't remove your Holy Spirit from me. I don't know if you've caught this, but I hear David pleading for his life right here. Maybe not his life for the next few days or years, but his eternal life. Because separation from God is death. Removal of the Holy Spirit from us is death. It ultimately leads to death. David is pleading for his life here. I can't believe these things that David has asked. Lord, return me to joy. Let these bones that you have crushed, let them dance again. Hide your face from what I've done wrong and blot out all my transgressions. Don't cast me away, Lord. Don't remove your Holy Spirit. It's amazing that God has said that, or excuse me, it's amazing that David has said this, that he would even have the courage, even the boldness to ask this of God. But this is the hope of repentance. Restoration, being restored, is the hope of repentance. This is the good news. This is the amazing news that even David, even the horrible things that he's done, even the horrible things that I have done, the horrible things that you have done, in repentance, in confession, Lord God, please forgive me, there is hope in restoration. 
But David could then go on and say, Lord, give me a new, a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart, Lord. You know, in the ancient world, the heart was like the, the wheelhouse of your life. It was the place where you, as the, the driving place, the driving wheel of your life. Sorry, driving wheel, steering wheel. <laughs> I know what those are called. Your heart was the place that guided your life. It was the, how you made decisions. It was how you knew wisdom. And he's saying, Lord, give me a new heart, a clean heart. Think about what it is like to try and navigate uh, this world with a, a deformed heart. With a heart that has all these stones packed on top, this heart that is deformed and can no longer walk right. Think about how difficult it is to navigate life that way. The bad choices we make that just get worse because rather than confess, we just try and cover them up. How sin begins to compound in us. We need a clean heart. That's the hope of repentance, is a clean heart. And a steadfast spirit. Now, uh, steadfast, I was kind of looking into like, what does he mean by that? And it's actually the Hebrew word, nachon, which means um, like steadfast and loyal, that won't be swayed, that's steady and true. Lord, give me a heart that doesn't just waver. Or sorry, give me a spirit that doesn't start to falter and give up on you, Lord, when things get difficult or when I start to build up all this sin. Give me a heart that, or give me a will that's steadfast and true, that keeps following you, a spirit that, that when things are difficult, draws even closer to you and will not move. Give me a spirit like this, Lord. And then David says, Return the joy to me, the joy of my salvation. And I think he's talking about, generally about salvation, like the, the joy that we have in that, knowing that we are right with the Lord God. But I started thinking some about the joy of my salvation. Some of you remember that day. That day when the Holy Spirit filled you and left you without any doubt of who Jesus is and you devoted your life to following him. Think back to the joy of that day. I can think about the smile on my face, the, the warmth and the security that I had, that peace, that courage to follow him regardless of how difficult it was going to be. I love that joy, the joy of salvation. That salvation that we have, that joy that we have, comes only from one person the Lord Jesus Christ the Son of God this salvation this ability to even this <laughs> a crazy ability that we have to even ask the Lord God for forgiveness comes because of his Son it's all because of Jesus because of Jesus we can ask for joy back because of Jesus, we can ask that our crushed bones would dance again. Because of Jesus, we can confess, we can come to him and set down these packs of stones, throw off this weight, and be restored. As I was studying this, I was thinking of Romans 5, where Paul is talking, he said, at just the right time, 
while we were still powerless, utterly powerless in our sin, Christ died for the ungodly. Now it's true, someone might die for a righteous man, and for a really good man, some might dare to die, but this, this is how God showed his love for us. This is how God proved his love for us, that while we were still sinners, while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. I mean, I know that we talk about this a lot in, in Christian churches and, you know, we hear all the time about grace and how we can begin to take it for granted. We've heard it so many times that we can take grace for granted. This completely absurd idea that God would take on flesh and dwell among us. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Because he loved it, God would do this for us. And then not only would he kind of come and mingle with us and then go back up to heaven, but he would come and he would walk the dusty ground of Galilee. He would suffer. He would be turned over and betrayed. He would be beaten and spit on and rejected. He would be forced to carry his cross through the city then up to Golgotha, the hill of the skull be nailed to the cross and then slammed into its hole so it would stand upright and then hang there for us. God, who could have come down off that cross at many moment, he could have stopped time and wiped everything out, and yet he hung there for us. All of our sin, all the things that we've done wrong, all the things we've said, all the times we've rebelled against God and hurt others, all of it was taken care of on the cross. And we know this, not only because of, of what we've read in the Scriptures, but because Jesus rose again. Though he died on the cross and they buried him in a tomb, that wasn't the end. He rose again. His disciples went to the tomb and found it empty, and then Jesus appeared to them. This is the amazing news. Because of Jesus, we can be forgiven. Because of Jesus, because of who he is, we can come to God and we can say, Lord, please forgive me. Forgive me for what I've done. Lord, make things right between you and I. Make things right between those in whom I've sinned against. And according to God's steadfast love, not according to our righteousness or our, how well we apologize, but according to his steadfast love, according to his unbounded compassion, we are forgiven. And the sin is blotted out. This is, is the hope of restoration. This is the hope of repentance, is being restored, being made whole again, throwing off that pack of rocks and being able to walk through life standing upright, our spirit no longer deformed, but healed and restored. This is the good news. But though we can come to God and we can confess, we can come in complete humility, not trying to pre things up, not trying to uh, sugarcoat it, but just coming faithfully to the Lord and asking, Lord, please forgive me. And according to his steadfast love, we are forgiven. And not only that, we are restored. We are given a new heart. We are given a steadfast spirit that won't waver. This is good news. Amen.